Welcome to New Vintage Church. If you're a guest with us this morning, particularly, I just want to say I'm so glad you're here. You've come at a great time. Uh, we're getting ready to head into a great 2020 as a church, and we are honored to have you with us yeah, here this morning. I hope uh, that by the time that you leave, that your heart's full, that your eyes have been turned appropriately toward the newborn king, uh, and that uh, you'll get a feel for what this church is really about. If you're one of our typical good old brethren we see all the time, I'm glad you're here too. Uh, it's great to see some of you um, coming in with smiles on your face. I know that this is not always the easiest season for some of you, and so I don't want to take that for granted, but whether this is a tough season for you or a happy season for you, uh, you've come to the right place. You've come to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and uh, I just want to say, particularly this morning, every day we give thanks for Jesus, but particularly this morning, we give thanks to Jesus and our Heavenly Father who sent him to this earth to save us from our sins, to release us from slavery to our sins. And because of him, and only him, we now have redemption through his blood. So we've been in a, a series and through the book of Galatians, and we're going to kind of bring it home today, here on, during our Christmas service here at New Vintage Church. And it's the, where we take the turn from the gospel message itself to what the gospel message looks, looks like when it's lived out among the people of God. So if you're not familiar with anything about the book of Galatians or whatever, I'm going to give you a primer here in about 30 seconds, all right? The book of Galatians is written to say something very simple, and that is there's only one gospel. That gospel is the person and work of Christ. And so because uh, somebody like myself is sinful, because of what I've done to this world, because of what I've done to the people around me, because of the way that I live, because of my sinful nature taking over from time to time, God wanted me to be free from that. He wanted me to be uh, released from that captivity to the, to, to the dark stuff that goes on inside people. And so Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners like me and to begin the restoration of the world uh, and the restoration of all things by the power of his blood. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can set us free. And it's not the Jesus, it's not Jesus and this, not Jesus and good works or Jesus and such and such. It's Jesus, period. And that's really the, the overall message of the book. And then once we're free, God sends his Holy Spirit into us to lead us, to guide us, to empower us, to help us live the kind of life that God always wanted for us. And without that spirit, we can't do it. So when the Holy Spirit of God is in us, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. He's greater than our sinful nature. And so now we live and walk by the Holy Spirit and, as the Scripture is going to say to us today, among God's people. And so we can be thankful for that. Today we're going to hear a description of what the gospel looks like lived out. And here on Christmas, uh, we're going to, uh, and during our Christmas service, we're going to take a look at what it's like when it's lived out inside the church, where it can bloom among those who are investing in your growth, and you in theirs. Uh, so with that, I'd like to read, we're going to read uh, all of chapter 6 today. We're not going to do it right now, though, so panic not. We will be there. And by the way, can we just say, how cute were those kids? Holy cow. Yeah. I always, <laughs> I always hold my breath when whoever gets stuck with the word Quirinius. Uh, I was like, that's hard to say when you're 44 and have been preaching your whole life. Quirinius. And usually it's Quirinius, and there's a, a TH at the end, and it never fails. I absolutely love hearing our kids read Scripture, listen to Scripture, sing Scripture. Uh, and so for those who serve uh, among us uh, teaching and shaping 
uh, the next generation. Uh, we owe them a debt of gratitude. So when you see them, yeah, and they're watching, some of them are watching this on video right outside the door. Um, you know, I, I have very vivid memories of, um, of doing that very thing. And it's when that seed is planted early on in their lives that you know God's going to do some great things over time. So, so amen. All right. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 to 6. So here's our good man, Paul. He's going to try to bring it home. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. You can underline that one in your Bibles if you like. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Here's this one. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. So I just want to stop and walk our, work our way through those verses first, and then we'll carry on. So what he's saying here is that freedom isn't just for you. That it's very easy for us to say at some point, hey, I want to, uh, I want to be uh, free in Christ, and I'm so glad that Jesus died for me, and I'm glad that you people are here to help me, and I'm so glad that uh, Jesus died for me. And everything stays in that personal pronoun category. But there's no we. There's no us. And there's no moment in time in, during which I all of a sudden uh, take that graduation step from, hey, it's all about me, to hey, it's all about we, and it's all about what God is trying to do here in the world. So when he talks about bearing one another's burdens, uh, that's the way the old translations would put it. Or thinking that you're too good to do something for somebody else. You're not that important, he says. So he starts with sin, and he basically says, look, you're responsible for your own conduct, but you're also responsible for sharing the burdens of others. He starts with sin. And he basically says to us, it's, it's not okay to just let somebody head back into slavery. So let me ask you. He says, gently and humbly help them get back on the right path. Have you ever done that before? Actually had somebody in your midst that you know needs a little bit of a guidance. Sometimes you feel like they need a slap across the grill. Sometimes you think that they need a, a vast disruption, something just absolutely um, disruptive to their life, and sometimes that is the case. Most of the time, though, What's needed is a gentle nudge from a sister or brother. Uh, later on today, my wife, me, and my kids, we're going on one of those big, long roadies. And eventually, somewhere between Yuma and El Paso, a vast wasteland of nothing, uh, somewhere around Winslow or something, Arizona, uh, I will be driving and zombied out. And at some point, that car is just going to do this, and I'm going to hit those bumps on the side of the road, right, that wake you up. They're designed for people like me who are zombied out on the road, especially at night, to wake me up and let me know, hey, hey, dude, you got a car full of people. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And now it, what I don't want to do at that point is grab the wheel and overreact to the other side, right? That's why they don't have like a spike strip on the shoulder. They want to gently guide you back in the right way. 
That's kind of the image Paul's giving us here. If you see a brother or sister, not, Jesus didn't just come to the earth to save you. Not just you. Us. All. And so when I accept the freedom that Christ gives me from my sins, when I accept that, when I decide I'm going to live my life for Jesus, the newborn king, the one that God sent into the world to save sinners, the one who came to this earth because, in part, me, but also because you, you're sinful too. That part of the gospel is I take care of others for whom Christ died. And it's not judgmentalism. It's genuine love and care. It's about bearing one another's burdens, as he says, and in so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ, is how the old verse goes, how it's translated elsewhere. Here, and in this way, you will obey the law of Christ, it says in the New Living. If you see a person being taken captive by something, and you don't do anything about it, he's insinuating that you are partially responsible for their slavery. Many of us see our, for instance, our financial and emotional difficulties as something that we don't mind sharing with other people. But the spiritual ones are the ones we kind of cover up. And sometimes we feel like we got to do that because we, we think people would judge us or we think this or that would happen. But that's actually what the church, in part, its purpose is. They're the bumps on the shoulder. They're the things that gently guide people back to the right path when they meander off the path and they take off and they go over here. Those are the ones that the church is particularly good at. Now, if you're grieving, great. If you're in need financially, we'll help you with that too. But, but the wheelhouse of the church is designed to say, this is what the gospel looks like lived out. That is not what it looks like lived out. That's not it, man. So come on back over here. Come on back over here. So whether it's sin you're struggling with, doubts you're struggling with, spiritual apathy, dealing with conflict in your life or whatever... This picture is of this community of faith that all says, not just on Christmas, right? But they say all the time that if you're here and you're struggling, okay, say something to us, let us know. Or if we see it and they don't say it to us, it's okay to care for somebody else. There was a little bookstore over in England, Southampton, England, called October Books. Uh, it was one of those little bookstores, local bookstores that people just love. Really cute little thing. Lots of fans. So everybody was pretty devastated when eventually after a sequence of rent increases, they had to move because they couldn't. And so everybody was really disappointed about it. They had a little board of advisors and I'm sure, you know, funders and stuff like that that tried to figure out, hey, can we keep this thing in business somehow? Well, so they get together, and they find uh, an abandoned bank building just down the street, not very far, like just, you know, several doors away, and they think to themselves, hey, we can do this. But they had a problem, which was how to get this massive amount, thousands of books, from that spot to the other spot. So one day, somebody came up with the idea, and they said, how about this? How about we get us all together, and we form a human chain from the basement where all the books are kept, thousands of books, not like uh, you know, a little stack, right? This is like thousands of books. We can take like more than a Barnes & Noble worth of books. We can take it, and one by one, we'll just form a human chain, and we'll pass it from one person to the next until and drop it in the bank building. And that's what they did. I have a picture here for you, actually, of what October Books did. So they sat there, and they passed the book all the way down the block until all of the books were put 
in the right spot in the new building. Isn't that something? (laughs) Quote, that is community, she says. I think there's something to this in Paul, right? It's like, you don't try to be a book so that everybody else will do all the work for you. That's what he says. You're responsible for your own behavior. But if the church is being the church, then if you get to a point where you can't move and you can't get off and walk yourself down the block, then we will pick you up and person to person to person to person to person, we will do whatever it takes to make sure that you get where God wants you to go. That's community. And so when he talks about bearing one another's burdens, he's really interested in forming this kind of a thing that pastors people through. What you just saw, those kids in the front of the stage, that's an example of the books getting passed from the nursery, the ankle biter generation out there, our little baby Yodas out there, (laughs) down to the, uh, the, the toddler crew, uh, do, you know, on up, there's a chain, and people are pastoring them and maturing them and investing in them and helping mom and dad get the opportunity to be grown in Christ too by being in here and all that kind of stuff, right? It's people growing people in the name of Jesus. Now, he does go here and say, look, if you're not willing to do that, then you think you're more important than you are. I can't, I got too much, I, I got too much going on. Okay, you think you're more important than you are. Because the important game is being played here in the community. Community of faith. Church is a place where, as Paul said, if something needs to be done or somebody's buckling under the burdens they're carrying, everybody is willing to play a part to help get them there. Brother to sister, sister to sister, brother to brother, brother to sister, sister to brother, brother to sister to sister to sister to brother to brother, all the way around the block, right? And where it gets weird is when somebody says, nah, man, it's cold outside. I got something else to do. I mean, look at how much they move. Thousands of books. How, what about the moving costs? Well, that took nothing. And as a result, they got it done. Christmas is a good reminder that God did whatever it took to set us free and that we're supposed to seek that freedom for others. Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Let's read together. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Yeah, that's an underliner. The old translation, you will reap what you sow. I never knew what sowing was. I got confused by that as a kid. This is what it should have said. You're going to harvest what you plant. Verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing If we don't give up, therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. We reap what we sow. We harvest what we plant. This I can promise you. If you go into your backyard and you plant a palm tree, you will not see strawberries come out. If you plant corn, kumquats will not grow there. That is not the nature of harvesting 
and planting. In the same way, you're never going to get to where God's vision for you is unless you sow accordingly. You invest your life in yourself, Paul says, you're going to have a lack of a lot of things. He says sin and death. Uh, I would add to that maybe lack of quality relationships, lack of depth. If you spend your time only on recreation, you're going to likely reap a shallow soul. If you spend all of your money on yourself, you're going to be storing up treasures on earth, as Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. I was blessed to grow up with an excruciatingly cheap set of parents. I'm talking about, like, cheap. I mean, cheap. Here's how cheap. I can say this with 100% certainty. This morning, it was probably cold in Long Beach in that little house my parents live in. My parents were not turning on their heaters. They were wearing parkas in their house. (laughs) Now, they have heat. They have the money to pay the heat bill. They have solar. And they're not turning the heat on. That's how cheap my parents are. It's literally free, and they won't use it, okay? <laughs> so my parents are a whole other level of cheap. Dad's a, you know, Gene Spivey is the kind of guy you go, Dad, can we go to Disneyland? And like, oh, waste of money, son. We'll go one of these days, which was code for never, okay, in our family. <laughs> and he would go, he's got a guy to take you to Sears and let you ride the escalator and think that was <laughs> Disneyland. You get off and... You, you get off now, let the other kids have a shot now, Tim, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, cheap, all right? It took me a while until I was older to realize they're not cheap. They just sow differently. They got a different harvest in mind, right? So my parents are the kind of people that, that they just thought money was for others. They, didn't, they would rather see the money go to somebody else than for them to spend it. It's just who they were. I mean, to this day, if I ever see them at something, it doesn't matter how obscure, random, or pointless the, the, the charity event is. Uh, when a kid comes up to them selling some weird fundraiser for some weird organization, it doesn't matter. They'll put me down for four or five or whatever, and they just give it freely. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad was a school teacher, so he was always off the same time that, that we were. And uh, one of the things that became the germ for free to serve, which is what DJ will tell you about a little bit later, what we're doing on Christmas Eve, was that my, my folks would, uh, we would spend Christmas Eve day instead of slobbering and drooling over what we wanted for Christmas, because we knew in general it wasn't going to be earth shattering. Whatever we got for Christmas was not, was not going to be that way. Um, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't like, you, you, didn't, you didn't get your hopes up at Christmas time in the Spivey house, put it mildly. Uh, get a new parka to wear in the house uh, occasionally. <laughs> uh, that was about it. So, so uh, but on Christmas Eve day, what we would do is we would get up, uh, we'd have some breakfast there at the house, and then we would go out and we would spend most of the day doing uh, random acts of kindness for people. That's what we would do. Uh, Dad would, uh, we'd get a little envelope, put a little cash in it, take it over to a trailer park where Joanne Pressler lived. May she rest in peace. My Sunday school teacher who helped do that with me. She had Parkinson's and was in her trailer and, and freezing, really cold. And we would slide a little envelope of cash under the door because we knew she wouldn't take it if it was from us. And so we just slid it under the door so she couldn't fight back and gave it to her. Walk away. You go to the graveside of people, put fresh flowers. You know, random things, right? And it was designed to say something different trying to teach us don't plant the wrong thing 
because if you plant the wrong thing, you're going to harvest the wrong thing because you harvest what you plant. Paul here is speaking directly of righteousness. He's saying, as an old comedian once said, stop sowing wild oats all week and then show up Sunday to pray for a crop failure. He's saying, you're going to reap what you sow, you're going to harvest what you plant. So be intentional about what you plant. You want to become more godly? Surrender your lives to the reign of the Holy Spirit. Sow into each other. You know, if you want to see a shallow person, don't think about how they treat ideas. We often think, well, they're, not, they're shallow if they haven't read the great works of literature. They don't know the difference between a Chardonnay and a Pinot Grigio. That's not what makes a person shallow. Don't look at how they treat ideas. Look at how they treat people. That will tell you how shallow they are. If you find a person who honors and loves people, they're deep. In the world of Scripture, they're deep. You will rarely go wrong in your life investing in people. So into the church. It's God's chosen epicenter of his redemptive work in the world. So into your soul. We're going to talk more about this in January, but, but most, many of us get, you will get, not many, all of us are going to get what we've planted. And so if we're willing to take the time to invest ourselves in things of the Spirit, then you're going to reap from the Spirit. If you don't, you spend your, your best energy and your best time in all of that elsewhere, then you're going to reap elsewhere. That's where the harvest will be. We will harvest what we plant. And then he goes on and he says, and if we don't give up. If we don't give up. I get amazed at how uh, some of you let the light of God shine on, on such a consistent basis in circumstances that are often very difficult. Uh, the, the guys who show up here and unload that trailer in the middle of the morning on a Sunday when it's freezing or raining or doing whatever, coming in, still smiling, still serving, still doing whatever, amazes me. I mean, I could go on and on with some, what I see some of you doing or in the community that you're in. I can see the light of Christ shining. There's a fella that also blew me away. His name is Paul. I think it's pronounced Getchius. So this cat, he's sitting there thinking about college kids one day. You heard a story about college kids that couldn't go to college because they didn't have a ride. You thought that was pretty weak. He's retired, and he said, yeah, I got a car. I'll give them rides. So he decided that he would set up a deal where he drove low-income kids who couldn't afford transportation to and from college, and he would just show up, and he would give them a ride to college. So this started eight years ago. The first student that he took is now a doctor. So over, over the last eight years, this cat has driven, it, last year it was 64,000 miles, taking kids back and forth to college. There's a great picture of him and like a cluster of five or six of the people that he's given rides to. And I mean, it's not like he's going down the street. It's not that. It's like, He's a New York guy. It's like from, from uh, you know, Rochester to New York City. I mean, pretty good little runs. Buffalo, places like that. The guy buys a car and then just drives the snot out of it so that people can get where they need to go, right? Imagination. If you don't give up, right? If he gave one kid a ride, that's nice, but it's not very impressive. What's impressive is 64,000 miles over eight years. That's impressive to me. 
A person who, oh, sires a child or conceives a child is one thing. Somebody who raises a child in the Lord over a lifetime, that's impressive, right? That's what he's saying. If we don't give up, if we don't give up. Planting and harvesting, sisters and brothers, are, is difficult, but it's worth it in the eyes of the Lord. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. <laughs> Another way to put it, uh, those who swing the axe once ain't chopping the tree down. That's not how it works. Okay? So in the realm of the kingdom, don't get discouraged. Don't look and say, hey, I planted one little grapefruit seed over here. I didn't pour any water on it. gave it no light or oxygen, and it didn't grow. I can't believe it. I'm talking about spending a lifetime throwing seed, adding water, adding light, and showering that with all the things that make things grow. He says, and you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Church planting is hard. Pastoring a church is hard. Being a parent is hard. Being a human being who follows Jesus on a daily basis for any length of time can be hard. But it's worth it. But it's worth it. Some of the examples just from the church world. My buddy Larry Osborne over at, at North Coast, he loves to tell the story of his first three years there, which of course, North Coast, for those of you who don't know, it's probably the largest church here in San Diego. And he talks about his first three years, and he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, he goes, the first three years, we grew from 33 to 34. Uh, we grew by a third of a person a year. <laughs> and, I go, I, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, that matches my experience. Uh, Carlos Asazga down at Luminous City, uh, same thing. Went down and saw him. And, of course, you know, in his mind, he thought that, you know, uh, that planting maybe was like a chia pet. And you do it, and six weeks later, the thing's like, you know, blowing up. That's not how it works. It's a lot more like making wine, Right? You plant, and then you still can't make wine. Even when the vines grow, you can't make anything worth drinking off those vines for a long time. You know, I've, I've got friends that have, have plowed that same field, and they still never saw maybe the growth that they wanted, but they planted the right harvest that God wanted them to plant, and he was pleased. And what Paul's saying to us is very, very important. That's what it's about. Pleasing God. Pleasing God instead of mocking God. By doing whatever. Um, small investment. Done over a long period of time. I was with uh, the, 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 um, one of the lieutenants in the police department and one of the deputy city managers this week. And they want to talk to us and just say thanks for what the church does for the homeless program here in the city. Uh, if you don't know we do that, we started it last year. And uh, we, we sat down and basically they try to take people that are maybe they don't have severe mental illness they're, they're functional they're just on the street and get them off the street reunited with their families help them find jobs if they if they are trying to get somewhere they help them get somewhere or whatever but it's very hands-on it's very one-on-one -on -one and it's very um uh targeted and and i it was funny it was like this wonderful i appreciate you and they're like no i appreciate you I'm like no I appreciate you. No, we appreciate you. No, 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 you know, kind of thing. It was beautiful, though. We were sitting there just saying, hey, I so appreciate what your church does. Because a lot of people don't get it. They don't get what we're trying to do. And they told me a story of somebody whose life had changed as a result. And then I turned around and said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you this one. I go, There's a young lady who used to come to our church fairly regularly. And through your program, was reunited with her family. And just this morning... 
I saw her on Facebook celebrating 11 months of sobriety. She's doing great. I mean, and I sat there and I go, if you don't give up. See, you can't just do, there, there's a way of doing this where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to throw one, one little seed and hope for the best. That's not usually how these things go. Sometimes it feels like shoveling a concrete driveway. I am getting nowhere. This is brutal. This is whatever. But what Paul says is, and that goes, by the way, for bearing one another's burdens. Okay? Sometimes you're going to have to just drag that brother or sister up the hill for half a mile before they can get back on their own. And your job as a brother or sister is not to try to live your life in such a way that everybody has to drag you up. Remember, your goal is not to be a book that has to be carried by the line of people. It's to become a part of the line of people who can help people get passed down the line, so to speak. If you don't give up. If you don't give up. Christmas Eve, 1968. Three men orbiting the moon. They're sitting there pretty amazed at what they're seeing and going around the, the circumference of the moon. And they decide that on Christmas Eve, as good astronauts might do, they decide they're going to read 10 verses from the first chapter of Genesis. They're 250,000 miles away from Bethlehem, but it was the night before Christmas. There was no chimney from which to hang their stockings. So they're inside the Apollo 8 capsule, orbiting the moon. They thought it would be appropriate. Their names were Jim Lovell, Frank Borman, and Bill Anders. They look at the earth far away, and they say in that little dinky window as they look out on the moon, they kind of go... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven months later, different Apollo mission. It's July. Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, that crew. They come in, and they're now getting ready to step foot on the moon. They actually land on the moon. They haven't gotten out yet. They're in their little space hut or whatever that thing is. <laughs> and so, and there they are. Buzz Aldrin says this. I kind of sounded like Darth Vader the last time. I'm sorry, I, got, I should have practiced this more. He's like... <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is the LM pilot. Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every, every person listening in, whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. And then he ended his radio communication. And then he took out his Bible, he read a verse, and he took communion. So it's accurate to say that the first food and drink ever served on the moon was communion. He wanted to read these verses. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whosoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then Buzz Aldrin explained that he had wanted to read that over the radio back to Earth, but at the time, NASA asked him not to do it because they were in a big tussle with Madeline Murray O'Hare, the famous atheist back then. They didn't want to set people off. And so he decided not to, and he said well, uh, what I read earlier. I have a picture here. This is his actual journal from that night on the upper right, and that's his chalice that he brought with him. That's what he actually took communion from on the moon when he landed there. So he agreed not to read those verses over the radio, but only reluctantly, he wrote in his memoir, and he said, I find, uh, he, goes, he goes, I ate the tiny host, and I swallowed the wine. I gave thanks for the intelligence and the spirit that had brought two young pilots to the Sea of Tranquility. It was very interesting for me to think the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the very first food eaten there were the communion elements. He was an elder in the Presbyterian Church, so he he got it, and he asked the pastor of the church, what do you think I should do, and how could I keep this all going together? And I thought, man, how cool. Talk about a place where God could be out of sight and out of mind. I mean, how do you get closer to him than that? (laughs) I don't know which is which. But I think what you might find is as you look at your life, you, you may find that those places where it might seem like you're kind of far away, you're also a lot nearer to him than you think. Christmas is about God coming near. It's about God coming near to us in Jesus. And so we're about to take the bread and the cup. I'd like to ask those who are going to be serving uh, the elements to go ahead and take their spot. And as we do, I want to put these kind of questions in your head for you to ponder as you're doing this. First of all, dwell on the fact that God came near to us in Jesus. Secondly, ask yourself, what am I, what am I planting right now? Because that's the harvest you can expect. And if you like that and you think that, hey, I'm, I'm planting in the right spot and I'm likely to harvest good things, then keep doing it. If you think that there's a tweak, you go, yeah, I'm planting a lot of corn and, you know, uh, I need to be doing some apples or something like that, then do let the Spirit lead you in that process of figuring out, okay, what kind of life does God want me to have? And take hold of it. And maybe you've been planting the right things, but you're tired of planting the right things. Then hear the words of God again saying to you, you will reap a harvest of righteousness if you don't give up. So be strengthened in the Lord Jesus today. The last words of Galatians are these. As for me, may I never boast about anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, for they are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, Father, in that spirit, we remember the cross of Christ, not just his birth this morning, Father, but the cross that made our freedom in Christ possible. And I pray that your spirit would be among us this morning as we take the bread and the cup, which represent his body and blood. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.